and proclaim that there is no one like you, that you would bring us to the end of ourselves, that you would create in us an attitude of being suspicious of our own heart and our own motives and yielding to Jesus this morning. And it's my prayer this morning, too, that um, like we always do, God, we pray for the churches around us. And I want to pray this morning specifically for several men that I've talked to in the last few months that surround Cross Point, that are like-minded, that yearn for the church to be planted and multiplied in our area. And you know their names, and you know who they are, and the encouraging time that we've had together. But I pray for those men this morning. God, we pray that you would plant the church again through Cross Point around us, that we would multiply and not be about adding, but more about multiplying for your namesake, that there would be more people gathering to worship you and to proclaim your glories, your riches, and your wisdom. And that more people would follow you and believe in Jesus because another church has gathered in our area to be true and faithful. And Father, I pray for all of the city leaders around us and all of the communities that are in Hunt County and uh, the counties close by, that you would uh, create a peace and that you would increase and we would decrease and that you would create an environment of peace not so that we could just enjoy it, but so that your gospel would move forward and move out and that lost people would come to know you because there's peace in the government. And I pray that locally and on a state level and nationally that you would bring peace and like-mindedness in government so that, so that the gospel can move out to places and to people's hearts where they don't name you as king and they don't follow you, and they don't believe this beautiful story of you redeeming a people. That's our prayer, is that you would bring peace like only you can. And Father, I pray for us this morning. I, pray, I offer myself to be spent and poured out that I would be clear with what your word says about the fool and about a king. It's my prayer that we would come to the end of ourselves this morning. And we pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen. Y'all turn with me to Proverbs chapter 26. Proverbs chapter 26. We are going to look at, well, the title of the message is King of Fools. And I hope that will come together for you here in just a few minutes. And you'll understand without me having to explain to you why the title of this message is King of Fools. But here's where we're going this morning. We're going to look at the first 12 verses of Proverbs 26. We're going to look at the fool. We're just going to look at, describe him, get to know him, figure out what's going on with the fool. We, we've used that word a lot. You hear it in some songs. You've heard Proverbs. You've probably seen it on somebody's wall. You've seen it at the Christian bookstore on a plaque. That word gets thrown around. We're going to define who this guy is. We're going to look closely at the fool, specifically in the first 12 to 16 verses of Proverbs chapter 26. Now, then we're going to look at three different kings real quickly. We're not going to spend a lot of time there, but we're going to look at three kings. And then we're going to end the morning. 
not with the king of fools, but with the true and better king, a wise king, completely and perfectly wise king. So there's the map for where we're going today. So before we look at this fool, who we're calling a fool, Proverbs 26, we need to address what we're thinking about right now when we say fool. For most of us, we're thinking about the fool. We think of this guy who is reckless, dumb, lazy. And if you're thinking that, you'd be right. That's who Solomon's talking about here, someone who's reckless, dumb, and lazy. There's three guys that Solomon addresses here in Proverbs, in the whole book of Proverbs, and it's a, uh, he calls him a fool, he calls him a simpleton, a drunkard, and lazy. So all four of those he uses interchangeably. We're talking about the same guy, okay? So when we start talking about the drunkard, the lazy sluggard, we start talking about the fool or the simpleton, we're talking about the same guy, a guy that's reckless, dumb, and lazy, all right? Just to help you get your head around who we're talking about, a guy that's reckless, dumb, and lazy, all right? So that's who we're talking about, and that is the word that's used in the New Testament most often. That's the best definition for what's used in the New Testament. However, in Proverbs, in the Hebrew language, the more literal definition for a fool, and it's the launching point for becoming reckless, dumb, and lazy, is in Psalm 53. Hold your finger in, Psalm, in Proverbs 26. Flip to Psalm 53, verse 1. We have this literal definition for what in the Hebrew the fool means. We have it in Psalm 14. It's the same passage, same words and everything. Psalm 14, 1, Psalm 53, 1. Let's look at Psalm 53, 1. The fool says in his heart, there is no God. They are corrupt, doing abominable iniquity. There is no one who does good. So the fool, really, a term that you probably use more often than not, is an atheist. The fool is someone who says, and this is key, in his heart, there is no God. Now, you and I would never proclaim that. I don't think, I hope not, proclaim that with your mouth. I mean, you're here today, and we'll make some assumptions about why we're all here, and none of you would walk in here and proclaim out loud, or walking back to your car after a while, proclaim with your mouth and say, there's really not a God. There's, there's no real God. We wouldn't say that, but the fool says it where? In his heart. He'd never proclaim it, but deep in his heart. In a moment, in a circumstance, in a situation, what we'll see later, one afternoon, might our heart say, I'm king. I'm, I got this. In one situation, it just takes a moment. It just takes one afternoon. It just takes one circumstance. There's really no God here. I mean, I don't need God in this moment, really. I don't really need him right now. So really what I'm saying is if I don't need him, there is no God because I am king. I'm in charge, and that's foolish. And we're going to see that play out in these three kings. Now, back to Proverbs 26. 
Let's look at the fool. Coming off Proverbs chapter 25, the fool has been described as somebody who lacks discipline and control. He's out of control. His whole life is a mess. And in this passage, 1 through 12, what we see is uh, Solomon giving us a picture of what it's like to deal with this guy. What it's like to deal with the fool, the reckless, dumb, and lazy guy who says in his heart, there is no God. You see this worded all throughout Proverbs and three times in this passage this way. The fool is wise in his own eyes. That's how Solomon says that. There is no God. In your heart, there is no God. You're saying, I'm, I'm wise in my eyes. I've got some wisdom here. And the fool is wise in his own eyes. You'll see it three times. So let's look at, I'm just going to walk down through the first 12 verses here. We'll explain them and we'll get acquainted with what it's like to be with, walk with, and know this fool. Verse 1, like snow in the summer or rain in harvest, so honor is not fitting for a fool. Like a sparrow in its flitting, like a swallow in its flying, a curse that is causeless does not alight. Now, that's kind of hard language to understand, and this is poetic language, and we don't talk like this. Now, we sing like this, but we don't use, unless y'all are really, really artsy and hip, you don't use poetic language. I don't. But this is poetic, and so it's kind of all over the place. There's hidden meanings. You kind of got to dig and figure out. I mean, he, he goes from the drunkard to the fool. He goes back to the simpleton. It, it's poetry. And so... What he is saying here in verse 1 and 2 is, you can't look to nature to blame foolishness on. It doesn't snow in the summer. It doesn't, it doesn't rain in harvest. It doesn't honor for a fool. Looking for someone else to blame foolishness on, you can't look to nature because God has ordered nature. Think about this. We've been dove hunting lately, and man, they're hard to hit. They are, there is order to their flight, and they're too small. And as I'm hunting, and I've gotten a few birds, I'm not that bad, but when we're hunting, you, you watch the flight, and then you see these meadow larks and these sparrows and these uh, little bitty birds, these little chickadees flying all over the pasture, and you're thinking, oh, it's dove. No. You watch their flight, and it is beautiful. There's order to it. It's not causeless, but what Solomon is saying here, you're looking to blame folly on something, you can't blame it on nature. He's ordered nature. Just watch some birds this afternoon and the order of their flight. They're not foolish. So we can't look to nature to blame foolishness on, right? Okay, verse three. A whip for the horse, a bridle for the donkey, and a rod for the back of fools. A fool is in constant need of discipline. They are stubborn. The fool is in constant need and sometimes harsh discipline. Not just a slap on the wrist, but the fool needs consistent discipline, a rod, sometimes on his back. Stubborn and in need of constant discipline. Verse 4. Answer not a fool according to his folly, lest you be like him yourself. Now, and he goes right on to say, answer a fool according to his folly, lest he be wise 
in his own eyes. You see that? The first time, wise in his own eyes. Now, it looks like he just contradicted himself. Okay, don't answer a fool lest you be like him. But answer a fool so he won't be wise in his own eyes. This is what the writer's saying. Sometimes you can talk to this guy and sometimes you can't. Sometimes it's better just to leave him alone in his folly or you'll become like him. You have to be careful and discerning when you're dealing with this guy. This reckless, dumb, lazy guy who in his heart says, there's no God, I'm king. Sometimes you can deal with him, and sometimes you can't. Sometimes you can speak with him, sometimes you can carry on a conversation and speak in truth, and sometimes you want to put your head through the sheetrock. Now, wives, I mean, we're five minutes in and I've already seen this. Be patient. Don't steal my thunder just yet. Sometimes you can talk to this guy, and sometimes, man, it's just frustrating to deal with this guy. And you got to be wise and discerning in how you talk to him. Verse 6, whoever sends a message by the hand of a fool cuts off his own feet and drinks violence. A fool cannot ultimately be trusted with any sort of errand or important responsibility. And if you do entrust them, wholly and completely and ultimately with something, you're going to pay. You will pay if you ultimately and completely put your trust in this fool. You will pay. You will drink violence. Verse 7, like a lame man's legs which hang useless is a proverb in the mouth of a fool. Their advice, the, the advice of a fool, their insight, their instruction holds no credibility has no credibility. It's useless. Because of how reckless and inconsistent their life proves to be. They can't speak insight and wisdom because their life is not lining up with what they're trying to say. You see that? Like a lame man's legs which hang useless. They have no real insight, ultimate insight. Verse 8. Like one who binds the stone in the sling is one who gives honor to a fool. Dealing with the fool, trying to show him honor, trying to plead with him. You go back to verse four. You're trying to talk to him and show him and you're trying to honor him and respect him just a little to help him listen. And it is so frustrating. It looks like this. You're trying to swing a slingshot. You're trying to get the rock and you keep trying to throw it and it's stuck in there. It's bound up. How frustrating is that? You just see, I'm trying to get this thing out of here, and it just won't come out because it's tied there. And when you release right here, the release point, what's going to happen? Back around, wham, right here in the temple. And that's what it feels like. Trying to honor and trying to deal with this fool will make you feel like slinging a slingshot and the rock's tied in. That's what it feels like trying to walk with this dude. Verse 9, like a thorn that goes up into the hand of a drunkard is a proverb in the mouth of a fool. They are so truly clueless to real wisdom. It's like a drunk who has a pierced hand and he doesn't even know it. That's how clueless they are to wisdom and insight on their own. On their own, they have that hard of a time. It's that difficult for them to really receive wisdom and insight and truth. It's just like a drunk who's got his hand pierced by a thorn and he doesn't even know it. 
because he's so drunk, dumb, lazy, and reckless. Verse 10, like an archer who wounds everyone is the one who hires a passing fool or drunkard. They are reckless and people get hurt. They are reckless and people get hurt when this guy, wise in his own eyes, moves on his own. They are reckless and people get injured when this dude moves in his own wisdom. He's wise in his own eyes. He is king. There is no God. People always get hurt. Verse 11. Like a dog that returns to his vomit is a fool who repeats his folly. This guy never learns his lesson. I mean, he, he never learns his lesson. He, he makes the mistake and he doesn't learn from the experience, so he makes the mistake again and he makes the mistake again and he makes the mistake again and again and again. And he doesn't learn. Or it doesn't look like he does. It sure doesn't appear like he's learning from his mistakes. He just keeps going back to his vomit because the dog doesn't know any better. A fool keeps going back because he's wise in his own eyes. He's king. And then it culminates with this same verse that we've looked at, wise in his own eyes in verse 12. Do you see a man wise in his own eyes? There is more hope for a fool than for him. So he just turns the tables. We've been talking about this fool, the guy who's wise in his own eyes, this man who is on his own. He is king in his heart. There is no God, even in this circumstance. It's almost hopeless. Hear that. I mean, he doesn't say it's completely hopeless. There's more hope for the fool than for the guy who says, I'm wise in my own eyes. This is almost hopeless. Do you feel the weight of this? There's almost no hope at all for the guy who says, I have drawn some conclusions based on some conjured up self-confidence that I have. I've come to some conclusions, some conclusions, and I haven't consulted anyone, and maybe I've even sprinkled it with some scripture, right, to kind of confirm what I'm thinking, but I haven't vetted it. No one else has spoken in. I am moving, and I'm immovable. That guy, almost hopeless. Almost hopeless for somebody to draw their own conclusions and not listen to anybody else, not consider anything else, you just, man, I've landed. I've landed on what I think and what I believe, and I am immovable. That guy, there is almost no hope for him. And there is a great difference between experience and wisdom. And let me just explain that. Some of us have a lot of experience. Some of us have more of these little gray hairs We've got plenty of experience, but experience does not equal wisdom. Because remember what the fool does? He goes back to his vomit, right? He just keeps going back. So gray hair, little age, little experience does not equal wisdom. There is almost no hope for the guy who says, nah, I got some gray hair, that'll validate me. I, I got some cool things that people like to hear, that'll validate me. 
I'm pretty confident. Things have gone pretty well for me at times. I have come to some conclusions and I'm immovable in them and I don't listen. I'm king. In this circumstance, whatever it is, fill in the blank, there is no God but me. Wise in my own eyes. Do you see it? Now, let's look at three kings. I want you to turn with me to 1 Samuel chapter 13. I may not have you turn to all these, but I want to look briefly. This came from Scott's Wednesday night study. Uh, I'm just telling you right now, I stole it from him. And as I'm listening to Scott do this survey of these kings, I'm noticing this very thing happening. These guys starting out so well, saying, proclaiming, there is a God. We trust Yahweh. We trust the God of Israel. But they're a king. And they become wise in their own eyes. And I want you to watch what happens in all three cases. 1 Samuel 13. Let me get there. 1 Samuel 13, we're going to look at Saul, we're going to look at David, and we're going to look at Solomon. And we're going to see what plays out when a king becomes wise in his own eyes. 1 Samuel 13. Saul started out so well. He started out so well. This... um, when he's appointed, he's got this air of humility and a little bit of meekness, and he's, he's being faithful, and he's paying attention to what God says. And then he comes to, towards the end, or a few years into his reign, and he is surrounded by the enemy, and he panics. And he's not supposed to offer a sacrifice. That's Samuel, right? Samuel's going to do that. And he's, he knows he's not supposed to offer a sacrifice, but the enemy's around. And what does he do? Let's watch. Uh, 1 Samuel 13, look at verse 8. He waited seven days, the time appointed by Samuel. Samuel did not come to Gilgal, and the people were scattering from him. Okay, so the enemy's coming, and his people aren't following him, and so the king, wise in his own eyes, he panics. Samuel's not here, and he told me he'd be here in eight days, and he's not here. So what does he do? So Saul said, Bring the burnt offering here to me and the peace offering. And he offered the burnt offering. And as soon as he had finished the offering, the burnt offering, behold, Samuel shows up. Don't, now you show up. Samuel came. Saul went out to meet him and greet him. Samuel said, what have you done? And Saul said, well, when I, when I, when I saw I saw that the people were scattering from me. Where are the people scattering from? They're they're not following me anymore. I'm panicking. I saw something. They're leaving me. And that you did not come within the days appointed. And the Philistines had mustered up Michmash. And I, I said, now the Philistines will come down against me. (laughs) All about him. At Gilgal, and I, I have not sought the favor of the Lord. So, what did I do? I forced myself and offered the burnt offering. Dude, you didn't show up. And so, I knew I wasn't supposed to do this. So, what I said in the moment is there's no God. I must take this into my own hands. There's no God here, really. And if he was not saying that in his heart, he would have waited. If he were not saying in his heart, there is no God, 
Now, he didn't proclaim that at this point, but in his heart, what his actions say his heart was doing was saying, nah, there's no, God didn't mean what he said, so there is no God here in this situation. There's only a king, and that's me. Me. What does Samuel say? Verse 13, and Samuel said to Saul, you have done foolishly. You have not kept the commandment of the Lord, which he commanded you for. Then the Lord would have established your kingdom over Israel forever, but now your kingdom shall not continue. And the Lord sought out a man after his own heart. And you know who that is. That's David. So now, surely David will learn and won't be wise in his own eyes, right? He will come through as the king we all need, right? The people need a king, and David will be that guy. Surely he'll learn from Saul's mistakes, and he'll be that guy. He's after God's own heart, after all, right? This guy who God declares as after his own heart, surely he will make it happen. Surely he won't be the fool. Turn to 2 Samuel chapter 11, just a few pages over. You know this story. Most of you are familiar with what happens here. 2 Samuel chapter 11. David is king, right? He's been appointed just like Saul. He had accomplished some things. He had acquired great wealth. So he had reason to be confident. I mean, this very... Common sense here. He, he had a lot of reasons to be pretty confident in himself. God had blessed him, a lot of wealth, had accomplished great things in the name of the Lord. He had been faithful with many things. Guys, after God's own heart, by the way, right? After all. Now look at verse 1. In the spring of the year, the time when the kings go out to battle, David sent Joab. Okay, wait. I loved how Scott did this on Wednesday night. Okay, let's, let's look at that again. In the spring of the year, the time when the kings do what? They go, go to battle. David did what? He did not go out to battle. He sent somebody else to do his work. So right off the bat, he's become lazy. We talked about that this morning already, the fool. He becomes lazy. And his servants with him and all of Israel, and they ravaged the Ammonites and besieged Rabbi. But David remained in Jerusalem. David has become intoxicated with the luxury around him. The wealth and the luxury, ah, I know I'm supposed to go fight, but I'm king. I don't have to. I don't have to do anything I don't want to do. I'll just send Joab. Our, our army's great. Joab's can get this done. I would rather just sit here in the cool of the day on my couch and my wealth and I will just rest. And he talks himself into doing what he knows he's not supposed to be doing. Why? Because he is wise in his own eyes. Verse 2. It happened late one afternoon. I don't, I don't want you to miss this. It happened late one afternoon. It just takes... One afternoon, one moment, one phone call, 
one interaction, one trip to town, one visit on the internet, one. Just a helpless afternoon, right? One afternoon, when David arose from his couch, lazy sucker, was walking on the roof of the king's house that he saw from the roof a woman bathing, and the woman was very beautiful. David sent and inquired about her. One said, is that not Bathsheba, the daughter of Eliam, the wife of Uriah the Hittite? Okay, so wisdom speaks in. That's, that's not your woman, is it? That's not your wife, right? Tell her to get up here. The king, wise in his own eyes, in this moment, one afternoon, one afternoon, he said, there's no God. He knew better. But he said, in this moment, one afternoon, there's no God. I'm, I'm king. You see my couch? You see my quarters? That's impressive. And, and I can say, go get her, and you bring her up here, and you will, and she will be up here. And I know that to be true. So, this afternoon, there is no God. And what happens? You know the rest of the story. He ends up having her husband killed. He ends up hurting a lot of people. She gets pregnant. They lose the baby. A lot of pain, a lot of suffering, and a man's dead. Why? Because one afternoon, a king said, Nah, there's no God. Now, he didn't say it out loud. We don't have that recorded. There's no God. But in his heart, he said, Right now, in this moment, I don't care who God is or what he said because I'm king. So surely Solomon will get it right, right? The the son that he has with Bathsheba, surely Solomon will get this right. After all, he's the wisest king, right? That's what everybody knows about Solomon. He's the wisest king to ever live, wisest man to ever live, probably ever will. So surely he will get it right. Look at 1 Kings chapter 11, just a few pages over. Surely Solomon will get this right. Solomon, just like Saul and David, starts out so well. He asks for wisdom, I mean, which is so ironic that that's what he asked God for. And God was very pleased with him for asking for that. And he gave him wisdom and he enjoyed the fruits of wisdom and he moved in a very wise manner. But he wasn't completely wise, and you'll see that here in chapter 11. He had the propensity and the potential to also say in his heart, ah, in this circumstance, I'm king and there is no God. Verse 1 of chapter 11, 1 Kings. Now, King Solomon loved many foreign women, along with the daughters of Pharaoh, Moabite, Ammonite, Edomite, Sidonian, Hittite, from the nations concerning which the Lord had said to the people of Israel, you shall not enter into marriage with them, neither shall they with you, for surely they will turn away your heart after their gods. Solomon clung to them in love. The first missionary dater. He's gonna, he had love in his heart for these women and he will move towards them. And surely all these people will worship my God. Nope. He had 700 wives. 
princesses, 300 concubines, thousands of women he loved, but his wives turned away his heart. God blessed you with wisdom. You asked for it. You got this wealth. You've been blessed. And he said, don't intermarry with foreign women. And you said in your heart, ah, there is no God. When it comes to the women I love, ah, I'm king. I will replace God in this moment. And I will be the one that makes the call. I am wise in my own eyes. And surely he would not have given me love for these women. Right? He wouldn't have given me this love for women if he didn't want me to bring them into my kingdom. Idiot. Dumb. Right? Looks so foolish. The wisest man ever to live, proving that even he is the king of fools. The wisest one to ever live, even he proves that he's the king of fools. Now, as we look back at Proverbs 26, just thinking about that list we went through. Who, who is this fool? Because of all these king stories, all three of them, and the ones we didn't even look at, they all play out just like Proverbs 26, 1 through 12. People are injured. People are confused. Counsel can't talk to them. No one, they will not listen to anyone. They have come to conclusions on their own. They are wise in their own eyes. People that try and deal with them feel like they're slinging a slingshot and the rock's tied. Their lives play out. These king of fools play out just like 26, 1 through 12. And they can't blame nature. They can't blame anybody else. It lands squarely on them. They're reckless, dumb, and lazy. No matter what they say, no matter what they have, no matter how many couches and chariots and wives they have, they're reckless, dumb, and lazy. Greg Fields get a kick out of this. A couple years ago, he, he told me about this guy named Max McLean who reads the Bible, and you can download the podcast and listen. And if you want to go, it is the most, he has the most powerful, beautiful voice. Uh, when he's reading the scriptures, he enunciates everything. <laughs> it's so cool to listen to him read the scripture. And right now, as a matter of fact, Proverbs is free if you want to go download Max McLean. Proverbs, and it's so cool how he talks. And so, a couple years ago, and even since, I'll play that in the car on my drive to Wiley to my office. And I would just listen. And as I would listen to Max McLean talk about the fool, the fool, that's how he says it, the fool. <laughs> oh man, he's cool. And uh, he would say, A whip for the horse. Bridle for the donkey and a rod for the back of a fool. So good. And as I'm listening, and me and Max, man, we're chilling. We are in the truck, and we are enjoying talking about this fool. And as I'm listening to Max McLean, I'm thinking, man, this fool, what a sap. Me and Max McLean. We're not fools. This condescending thoughts in my heart about who Max is talking about. Bless the heart of this fool. That's not me. I mean, I, I'm just thinking. You know what I'm thinking? And you know what I, as I look back on it, you know what it sounds like when I'm sitting in my truck, kind of 
oddly comforted by Max talking about the fool is I'm, I'm sitting there thinking and I sound just like the Pharisee in Luke 18 who looks at that tax collector and says, thank you, God, that I am not like the fool. I mean, when you listen to Max McLean, you're, you, you sit up straight and your eyebrow goes up. And that's where I sat, being transparent. The fool, not me. It's oddly comforting to hear about all this wreckage. It's oddly comforting to hear about how dumb, lazy, and reckless this dude is. It's just because I can go to, well, you know, I hadn't done all that, right? Never killed anybody, never hurt anybody. I don't, I don't do that. Well, I hadn't done that in a long time. That's the Pharisee. Thank you, God. I'm not like that tax collector. Thank you, God, for making me like you did because I'm not like him. The Pharisee. And Jesus said, the tax collector went away saved. Not the Pharisee. Proverbs 26, 1 through 12, is me. And it's you. The fool in Proverbs, it's us. This is our propensity. This is where we will end up. And saying there is no God, even one afternoon, one circumstance, saying I'm wise in my own eyes and believing it will always end badly. It will. Read it. It, read Proverbs. It will always end badly. Be real transparent. Ask my wife about Proverbs 26, 4. Sometimes I can talk to him, and sometimes I steer clear. I've learned that. Sometimes I can speak to him, and sometimes I can't. And you know why that happens in my marriage? Is because the times when she feels like she can't speak to me, it's because in my heart I'm saying, hey, I'm king. I've used this phrase this year. Hey, I'm just trying to shepherd this stuff around here. Oh, and you're getting no help? So cocky and arrogant is my heart. And what I say to my wife is, really, I'm king, I'm wise. And in this moment, I don't need biblical insight. I don't need God. I need y'all to listen to me. What I'm saying in my heart, I would never say this out loud. What I'm saying in my heart is there's no God here. I got this. And just like Proverbs 1, I mean Proverbs 26, 1 through 12, I cannot ultimately be trusted with any significant responsibility on my own. Elder, husband, or dad, I cannot ultimately, listen, on my own, be trusted with it. That may unnerve you. <laughs> on my own, I can't be trusted with pastor. I can't be trusted as a husband. I can't be trusted as a daddy on my own. My, my propensity is to be the fool. Ask some folks in ministry that I've hurt over the years. Ask folks that have been on the receiving end of loose lips from me. Ask folks that I've gossiped about and it got back to them and it hurt. Just ask anybody in my wake. Look at my financial record over the last 20 years. Whew. 
Foolishness shows up everywhere, everywhere. There are plenty of times that I can't speak into a situation because my life doesn't line up with what I'm trying to say. And you know who gets me on this the most? My kids. I heard Hank the other day, we're driving to school, this guy flies around us and then he slams on his brakes and pulls in front of us because he wasn't watching and there was a car coming and I had to hit my brakes and Hank said, dump driver. I don't know where he got that. (laughs) Could have been a lot worse. Uh, But he hears me talking about people. He hears me talking about drivers. He hears me talking about my church. He hears me talking about people we meet. He hears me and Christy talking, and our kids learn how to talk about other people from us. And when I say to them, anything, just fill in the blank. We don't yell at our house, so stop yelling. I'm yelling. (laughs) There's plenty of times where I can't really speak truth because... My life doesn't line up. Ask some people around me what it's like to deal with me and ask, me if they've, ask them if they've ever felt like they're swinging a slingshot in the backyard and the rock's tied. That's what it's like to really deal with me, who I am on my own. I keep doing what I don't want to do. It takes me two, three, four, seven times to learn the lesson sometimes. That's me. I quickly come to my own conclusions about people, about circumstances, about truth. I come to conclusions very quickly, just like this fool. And I can be immovable, immovable, even with the silliest of ideas. Where are you immovable today? Are there ideas and thoughts and conclusions you've come to where you say, no, that's not how it is. This is how it is. Have you vetted that? Is that sound doctrine vetted in Scripture? What else is speaking into where you're immovable? And I'm not calling for wishy-washy. I'm just saying, what is it that you are saying, ah, there will be no discussion? I've come to a conclusion because you see, I am wise in my own eyes. I'm king. In my heart, I'm king. I say it too often in my heart. I got this. I don't need God. I say, I deserve some honor and respect. It's been a while since I've gotten some honor and respect in my home, in my church, in my friendships, in my work. I just need somebody throw me a bone here. Come on. I I deserve some honor and respect, and that's the king in my heart saying, there's no God. You, you, you're the one that deserves some honor and respect here, Brad. And what I'm saying in my heart when I say that is, there's no God. Now, I would never say that out loud, but in my heart, that's what I'm saying. On our best day, on our best day, we are just as reckless, dumb, and lazy on our own as this fool in Proverbs 26, 1 through 12. Why? Because we are wise in our own eyes, and wise in your own eyes lies close at hand. So, now, what do we do with this, right? I'm just not going to leave you there. We're all dumb and lazy. Let's go home. (laughs) This is where 
I want us to land today is be suspicious of your heart. As a dad, husband, wife, student, young people, be suspicious of your heart. Be suspicious of the king in you that will say on any given afternoon, bring that woman to me who would say, bring me the burnt offering right now. Who would say, in in any one moment, any one afternoon, who would say, bring me some more wives, just like Saul, David, and Solomon. That's who we can be. I love what Martin Luther said when he's asked about all the things he's writing about the Roman Catholic Church. He's writing some pretty offensive stuff to the Roman Catholic Church. He's uh, writing and saying some things that could really get him in trouble. And someone asked him, aren't you afraid of what the church can do to you? Surely you know that they can hurt you physically, they can kill you, they can put you in jail for what you're doing. Why are you not thinking through what could happen to you when you say these things? And this is what Martin Luther said. I love the way he puts this. I am more afraid of my own heart than of the Pope and all his cardinals. I have within me the great Pope. And it is called self. I have within me the great Pope. The the great Pope lives here. So Luther says, I'm more afraid of that than I am any Pope or Cardinal. Be suspicious of your own heart. Because truly, there is no Pope. There is no lowercase king. There is no lowercase pope. There is no pope, period. There is none. But there is a true and perfect wise king. And so where we're left here today is to totally and completely trust Jesus. And where we'll go next week, trust his church. We start with Jesus. But let's own and be suspicious of our own foolish heart, our own king within us, and the own pope within us. And we must trust Jesus. He's the only answer. There are no kings. There is only one king. He is never reckless. He never was reckless on this earth. He was never dumb. He was never lazy. He embodied wisdom. He displayed wisdom. All of his works were perfect and true and wise and timely. Everything about who he met, to where he went, to what he said, to how he left people, to what he didn't do and what he did do. Everything about it was perfect and right on time. He was never reckless with anything. It was all perfect and wise. He was never reckless, dumb, or lazy. He can be trusted. He spoke only wisdom. Everything he said was perfectly pure and true. He acted wisely. He was wisdom. He was wisdom walking. If you can get your head around that, he was wisdom that walked around. Colossians 2, 3. Don't turn there, just listen. Paul, wanting them to be encouraged in their salvation, says this, that your hearts may be encouraged being knit together in love to reach all the riches of full assurance of understanding and the knowledge of God's mystery, which is in Jesus Christ. 
in whom are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. You wanna know where to get wisdom? You start with Jesus. That's where we go for wisdom. 1 Corinthians 1.20. Where is the one who is wise? Where is the scribe? Where is the debater of the age? Has not God made foolish the wisdom of the world? For since in the wisdom of God, the world did not know God through wisdom, it pleased God through the folly of what we preach. You hear Paul owning his foolishness? Look, I'm just a foolish preacher. I'm the fool just preaching. It's Jesus who has the wisdom. To save those who believe, for Jews demand signs and Greeks seek wisdom. But we preach Jesus Christ crucified, a stumbling block to the Jews and a folly to the Gentiles. But those who are called, both Jew and Greek, Christ is the power of God and he is the wisdom of God. And James 1 says, anyone seek wisdom, let him ask for it and it will be given without reproach. Anyone seek wisdom? I hope that you and I are sitting here today and if we're asked that question by James, anyone seek wisdom that we're all just like, ooh, 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 ooh. You're giving out wisdom? Start with me. I'm in more need of wisdom than anybody else in here. I hope that's where your heart is based on what Proverbs 26 is telling us. Anyone seek wisdom? Me, 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 me. Please, me, start here. (laughs) I'm bankrupt on wisdom. I hope that's where your heart is. And James 1 has the beautiful follow-up sentences. He'll give it to you without reproach. You know what that means? He won't shove it in your face. Yeah, you need wisdom here. You know you need wisdom, and I got it, and you don't. He won't do that. He will give you just the wisdom you need for that one afternoon. When you want to say, tell her to come up here. He will give you wisdom for that moment. He will be wisdom for you in that moment. Now, last passage as we get ready for the supper. Turn to Isaiah 52. This is the most beautiful connection that God showed me this week. Isaiah 52. Isaiah's talking about the suffering servant. He's talking about Jesus here. The servant who suffered at the hands of our sin and in submission, in beautiful, perfect submission to his father. The perfect child, never foolish. Watch this. Isaiah 52, look at verse 13. 13 through 15. Behold, my servant, Jesus, shall act, how? Wisely. He shall be high and lifted up and shall be exalted. Now, what he's talking about here is placed on the cross, lifted up. He's not talking about the revelation lifted up, we're we're thinking sometimes. He's talking about when he is is placed on the cross as an atonement and, and a final death for our sin, and he is lifted up on that cross, He is acting wisely then. That is the culmination of his wisdom is how he went to the cross and is lifted up. That's the culmination of his wisdom. It was a wise move, perfectly submitting to the Father. He proved it. And as many were astonished at you, his appearance was marred beyond human semblance and his form beyond that of children of mankind. People are astonished by what he did and his wisdom. In verse 15, so shall he sprinkle many nations. Watch this. Kings shall shut their mouth. Little king in here, in my heart, 
king, Jesus is being lifted up. He acted wisely. He's perfect. Are you astonished by that? Because if you are, you know what you'll say to the little, you know what happened to the little king inside you, the little pope inside you and me? No, no, no. You see Jesus lifted up? Zip it, butter. Zip it. Uh-uh. We talked about the all score. Ben talked about the all score. When your all score is high, you will be suspicious of your heart. You see Jesus lifted up, if that's astonishing to you, that he would be lifted up and take your place. If you're astonished by that, your all score will be very high. And your suspicion of your heart will be very high. If you are not that astonished by what he's done and how he's completed our salvation in Jesus this morning, if that doesn't astonish you, then you are pretty wise in your own eyes. And the king won't be quiet. The king won't be quiet. You know how to shut the mouth of the king and the pope in your heart is be astonished by what he did and who he is. Perfect wisdom. Keep reading. For that which has not been told them they see and that which they have not heard they understand. Here's what happens to the king and the pope inside you is that he shuts up and then he understands who Jesus is and he sees what's really going on and he understands the gospel. When he's lifted up, the little king inside you, zip it. And you're able to understand him more. And you're able to see him more. The solution to your folly, the solution to my folly is to see him high and lifted up. Trust him. Perfect wisdom. That's the solution to our folly. Wisdom from above is found only in Jesus. It's my prayer that that's where we sit for a week is being suspicious of our heart. The only way to shut up the king in your heart, the little pope in there, is to be astonished at what Jesus has done. And then next week, we're going to look at how the church interacts, how Jesus uses his church to bring wisdom next week. Y'all pray with me, and then we're going to enjoy the supper. Father, I pray just like I did at the beginning that you would bring us to the end of ourselves, that we would, at this time of communion, be again astonished that your body has been broken for us and your blood poured out, a new covenant on your people, a a final, true, and good covenant, and that you are the only king and that you would help by the supper we take now, by the word that we've heard and by the songs we sing, you would keep the king in our heart quiet and shut up. Help us own our foolishness and trust Jesus. And it's in his name that we pray. Amen. You wonder if he wants to give you wisdom. You wonder if he wants to be the solution to your folly. Then let's look right here. Wisdom was broken for you poured out for you. Take and eat and take and drink. Just had one more thought. Um, There's a certain amount of embarrassment and shame that can be attached to the wreckage of our foolish ways. And 
I think that's good for the little pope in us <laughs> to get embarrassed uh, and maybe even experience some of what feels like shame when you're foolish. And then part of owning that is it's going to kind of feel like that a little bit. But it's good for the king and the little pope in here to get embarrassed every once in a while. And so there's a difference, though, between embarrassment and shame over that and the perceived shame of evil hemming you in. Uh, someone else's sin or evil that has hemmed you in holds you prisoner. There is no shame for that because Jesus has covered that. This, it's the same cure for both embarrassments, Jesus. However, it's different. Don't go to where have I been foolish because evil has hemmed me in. You see the difference there? And we're going to talk more about that next week. I want to leave you with this. Listen to this. Psalm 69, 33. For the Lord hears the needy. You need wisdom? You need evil hemming you in? You needy? He hears. He's not reckless, dumb, or lazy. He's listening, and he hears the needy. And he does not despise his own people who are prisoners. So if you're feeling him then, make sure you don't run to, what have I done to deserve this? What have I done to make this happen? Whoa. There is an embarrassment that that little pope needs. I mean, it's, I need it often. But don't confuse the two. When evil hems you in, Jesus is the answer. And he's saying, I'm listening, and I will be exactly what you need. And so will my church. Okay? I just wanted to clarify that. And I hope you'll be back next week. If you're visiting with us, I hope you'll continue to come and walk with this people. Like Clint said earlier, if you are looking for a church home, find me or Scott Sutton in the back or any of the deacons that stood up. Uh, ask for a deacon. Somebody can point you in the right direction. We'd love to talk with you about what it means to walk with this people. And uh, thank you for being here. Thank you for worshiping with us. Uh, why don't let's just stand and I'll dismiss us in prayer unless there's anything else. Or do y'all have a song? Okay. All right. Father, thank you for this time in your word today. Thank you for the songs that point directly to you and for true songs that point us to the cure for our foolishness and our folly. And we pray that you would continue to help our hearts ruminate the truth that we heard in song and in preached word and in prayer. And uh, we are grateful for who you are and that you are perfectly wise and you can be trusted today. And we trust you and we proclaim that and we ask that you would keep the king in our heart uh, shut up. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.